And I just said, I'm just going to go until I run out of money. You know, uh, it might be a month. It might be two. I don't know. That's uh, where your passion exceeds your your experience or exceeds your, even exceeds your confidence, honestly. I went there at 10. I got there at 9. I can tell you exactly the time. I got there at 9, 10 in the morning. At 1230, I had a job. Bang! There you go. <laughs> at 12.30 in the afternoon, I had a job. He said, hey, uh, I want you to come up to the office at lunchtime. Well, I had heard that people got fired during camp. Welcome back to another rep. I have a former NBA coach, longtime coach, Dean Cooper on today, and he's got he's got some great stories, man. Lean in, hey! But before you do that, subscribe, hit the buttons, hit all the bells, hit all the whistles, do whatever you got to do to make this show go. I appreciate you listening, but let's go get another rep with Dean Cooper. Let's get it on. Let's go, Dean. Man, oh man, we got Dean Cooper, NBA former NBA coach or NBA coach. You can go back; they're not gonna keep you from going back thanks so much for coming on dean is a mutual he's a new friend from a mutual friend actually my college roommate joel wilker who uh lives in belding michigan and you guys met up there and then he introduced me to you so hey we're all connected all the time i say that all the time but hey welcome to another rep man what have you been doing for the last 55 years of your life <laughs> how old are you dean well, I'm yeah, I'll be uh I'll be 55 in December actually and uh, you know, I you know, I think I honestly uh, you can probably speak to this. I I think in large part because of uh well, I'm active, but in large part because of the business that you and I've been in for our whole adult life. You you don't really get you don't feel that age because you're active. Right. You're right. around young people all the time. You're in sports and so you know, we're, I, you know, we're, you don't, you're not sedentary, uh, when you're in that business. So, um, I mean, my, I got, you know, creaks and aches and stuff like that, that I didn't have five, 10, 15 years ago when I start moving around, but from a mental standpoint, I, I think it's, it's been, you know, I feel the same now as I did when I was, you know, in my twenties or thirties and hopefully just a, a, a slight bit wiser. There you go. Keeps you young. It keep, the game keeps you young. Um, let's go back all the way to where you got into coaching basketball. And, um, you know, you, uh, you probably played in high school. Just tell everybody your story and we'll just unwind this whole thing. Well, I'll give you the, uh, I'll try to give you the short version. Um, it's a kind of a bizarre story. Uh, obviously I grew up in Belding. Um, for the people listening, don't know where that's at. That's a town of about 4,500 people um, situated between Grand Rapids, Michigan, and, and Lansing, Michigan. Um, Go out in the middle of a cornfield and yeah. take a left. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I grew up, you know, played a lot of sports and stuff. And I, you know, ba- baseball ended up being what I was, you know, my the thing that got me a college education. Uh, but when I got to college, um, I just missed basketball. Um, and it was a just happenstance that, uh, we at Belding. They had gotten a new basketball coach and his name was Larry Ray. And I, 
I was home um, late in the fall uh, after fall baseball, and I was up in the in the I was at the gym at the high school in the batting cage, and I got to, I used to go up there in the mornings and hit when I was home, and um, he came through and introduced himself and stuff like that. So I just kind of stay in touch with him. Well, I like I said, I, I missed basketball, so. I end up kind of, I end up volunteering and helping. He's like, hey, if you're around, and you know, my hometown's only about 35 or 40 minutes from where I went to college. So, where'd you go to college? Aquinas, Aquinas College, in, right in Grand Rapids, right yeah. outside of East Grand Rapids. So, um, so I did that for a year or two, and then um, I, I just enjoyed it. Uh, I even at the even after the first couple of years, I didn't I. I didn't plan on making it a living, you know, I, my degrees in economics, I, I had planned on going to law school. Um, my, my family, I come from a family of uh, law enforcement, but I, I don't like violence and I don't like guns. So being a police officer uh, in and of itself wasn't, that wasn't going to be my calling. Um, but I had a, you know, kind of a fascination with law. So um, fast forward, kind of now getting toward the end of college and I played baseball. And so I, I, you know, coached in the winter, put put a few dollars in my pocket and kept me involved in basketball. And then when it was all said and done, I was like, geez, I, you know, I kind of like this coaching stuff. Maybe I'll teach and, and go to, and, and keep coaching. So I did that for a couple of years became Larry's JV coach at Caledonia and worked a lot. And then I had just was very fortunate from working camps and doing things. Um, you know, my network kind of kept growing. Uh, and so I just decided that that's what I wanted to do. And then I realized that like, just like teaching and coaching, that probably wasn't what I that wasn't going to be my long-term, um, like you I didn't wired. You weren't wired. Doing that. I wasn't wired to go do that. So I wanted to coach, uh, full time. I just want, I, at that point I decided, and I what I did was I, I gave myself, uh, I gave myself, uh, a timeline. I think I was about 24 at this point. Uh -huh. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself three, three to four years. Um, to make it just as a coach, to, to be to just be a coach. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, then I'm gonna go to law. I'll still be young enough to, you know, go to law school. So I I uh I made a bunch of resumes and I it's it's a crazy story. Uh and you're probably thinking, I thought he was giving me the short version, but um so I was I started doing video back when there were VHS tapes and all yeah. that, as you remember. Uh, that was just a big thing for me. And so I, even in high school, I bought my own video editing machine. So one in the fall of, or in the spring of 1997, uh, I, I forget the exact dollar amount. I, people will go, geez, how, how'd you do that? I, I want to say it was 800 bucks. I had eight. I said I'm, I'm budgeting eight hundred dollars, 
I cause this is before mobile phones, right? Yeah. Well, they were mobile phones. I didn't have one in 1997. Right. They were just coming out. So I called Co. I said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I knew the the bulk, like if I wanted to hit as many schools as I could on $800, I'm going to go until I run out of money. <laughs> and my best friend, Pat, Pat Knight, Coach Knight's son, Patrick is my best friend. He, he and I had worked for the Connecticut Pride the year before. He was a, in, the, in the CBA. He was a full-time assistant, and I did some scouting. And so he was in Connecticut. Well, obviously, the most schools are toward the east, the greatest population of schools, yeah. right? Yeah. So I called in those days on the phone and just, you know, the landline and set up some set up some things and I packed up I made a huge resume packet packed up a bunch of my videotapes and just started driving nice. um, yeah it's great I'm like I'm thinking back at this like I haven't talked about this in a while but so I had some places I had to be on certain days because I I made a schedule yeah and at certain schools but other schools like I just would pop in like like I like one place I just stopped and being a baseball fan, like I just went to Bucknell. Well, that's where Christy Matheson played, who and I just popped in and Pat Flaherty just happened to be there. And I was like, hey, coach, can I come in? And I just sat and talked to him for an hour or maybe two and told him what I was doing. And he said, what do you got? And so I just did that. And um and I just said, I'm just going to go until I run out of money. You know, uh, it might be a month. It might be two. I don't know. That's uh, where your passion exceeds your your experience or exceeds your – even exceeds your confidence, honestly. Because I've been there yeah. where your passion exceeds that, and you're just like, I'm going. I'm going. I'm yeah. going. To go. I, I just said I got to be – you know, it's funny because Pat Knight and I now have a group uh, that we started years ago called Both Feet In. And um, basically, that's why I said I got I go, I'm going to go both feet in for, like I said, about three years. And if I can crack it, I can crack it. And if I can't, then I'm going to I'm going to go a different direction. So that's awesome. um, So I went and on the way home, this is a crazy story. Uh, So on the way home, I had a I the last scheduled place I had and I was running out of money was Canisius. The coach at, and I had been calling the University of Buffalo with no avail of getting a hold of anyone. Um, and but I had a, a meeting scheduled with John Beeline at Canisius. So I get to finally get to Buffalo. I I, I stopped at all the play. I stopped at Albany, Siena, all the stuff, you know, coming through the New York corridor. Right. And was amazing. I, I created some incredible uh, relationships, you know, I mean, these coaches thought I was off my rocker. A lot of them, if yeah. they were around. So I get to Buffalo. I'm supposed to go to Canisius the next day. I still haven't gotten a hold of anybody at the university of Buffalo. So I call home on the landline and um, uh, my, my parents didn't even know where where I was exactly because I, I probably hadn't checked in in a day or two. So I call home and my my mom answers and she says, "Hey, um, this John somebody from Canisius called, 
And you, were you supposed, are you in Buffalo? And I said, yeah. He said, you're supposed to meet with, are you supposed to meet him tomorrow? And I said, uh, as a matter of fact, I am. And she said, well, he called and he's not going to be there. He called and apologized. He's now the head coach at Richmond. He's not going to be at Canisius tomorrow. So I tell that story and saying that says a lot about John Beeline because co- anybody that knows the coaching profession and certainly in college, when you get a new job, you're not going to pick up the phone and just make some random phone call to somebody you never met yeah. <laughs> and say, hey, by the way, I'm not going to be. So I have all the respect in the world for, for John Beeline. Yeah. Um, so I'm in Buffalo and I'm like, well, no sense in going to Kenesha's. I'm going to drive over to the University of Buffalo, though, anyways, and see if I can find get a hold of a human yeah. being. Find the so I go, over there, I go over there. I drive over there next morning. Sure enough, one of the assistants and the head coach, Tim Cohane, is there at the office. I like I've been calling. Well, they didn't have a secretary, you know. And at that time, University of Buffalo was in the mid-continent, which was a crazy conference. And then the next the next year for one year, and then they were going into the mid-American. Well, I'm from Michigan. There's three schools in the mid-American. Tim Cohane ran motion offense, which is he was a coach night disciple. I went there at 10. I got there at 9. I can tell you exactly the time. I got there at 9, 10 in the morning. At 12.30, I had a job. Bang! There you go. <laughs> At twelve thirty in the afternoon, I had a job. That's so, awesome. so there you go. So, um, and I literally was. I probably had pays dinner. off once again. I, I literally awesome. had probably had you know on the way I was going to stop at like Cleveland State, right? You know, yep. some of those go back around to Michigan, but I was running out of money. I yeah. maybe had one day left on my trip, and. Um, so at the end of that trip, I had my first division one coaching job. That's so that? cool. That is yeah. so cool. You mentioned Bobby Knight. I've never heard you talk about Bobby Knight before. Did you have did you do camps with him? Tell me, I don't know how well you even knew him or whatever, but um what's something you learned from him and that surprised you about him that like because the media, you know, portrays him as, you know, wild, crazy maniac. I don't yeah. know stuff so just well rumors this is your you channel. Know, <laughs> but well i mean i mean coaches exploits are coaches exploits those are not to be denied i mean they're out there for the world to, yeah, yeah. To, to devour um you know and then fortunately i um uh, you know uh, i had the, how i got to know him i was working camp this is another crazy story so i went to work camp I was probably 20, maybe 21, 20. And they just assigned you a station. And um, so the first year I got assigned a defensive station. And so you're in the field house next to assembly hall. Yeah. And there's 18 courts in there and it's loud. And you got 15 kids in a station and stuff like that. So the third day, I'm working my station and Ron Felling, who was an assistant, um, who people may, may, may or may not know infamously of ter- giving coach, he was the one who turned out the tape of coach grabbing Neil Reed. 
not one of his finer moments, obviously. No one condones that behavior. But anyway, so Coach Felling came to my station and he said, uh, he said, hey, uh, I want you to come up to the office at lunchtime. Well, I had heard that people got fired during camp for not running their station <laughs> properly. Okay. So, yeah. So I was, I was, I thought I was getting fired. I, I really did. I thought he was going to say, hey, man, well, yeah. you got to go. Here's your check. And, you know, because yeah. Coach Felling oversaw camp. So I go up to the office. And I don't know anything. I didn't really even know how to get to the office. I had to ask security guards. And oh, it was a long that. walk, probably. It was a long walk. It was a long walk. And so I get up to the office and I walk in. And the secretary, whose name is Marianne at that time, and, and she was coach's secretary forever. Yeah. And of course, I didn't know her as Marianne. I never walked in that office. And I said, Hey, my name's Dean Cooper. And, and um, Coach Felling told me to come up here at lunchtime. And I'm just thinking he's giving me my check and I'm going to be driving back to Belly. So you were even thinking I was going to get a check. I might just get the walking orders. And yeah, check. exactly. exactly. <laughs> so hey, she goes, oh, yeah, he's waiting for you. That's his office right there. So I, I walk in and I say, hey, coach, you know, and um, he goes, hey, come, come on in, sit down. So the, the greeting was friendly. So that eased some of the tension. Uh, that I had yeah. and he said sit down he said let, let me ask you a question I said yes sir and he said how in the world do you know so much about our defense and how we teach it that was not what I was expecting <laughs> at <laughs> all so I told him you know the guy that I Larry Ray, who took over, was a coach night disciple at Belding. And I told him. And so he just befriended me. The next year, when I went back, was Patrick's freshman year. Okay. At IU. And he was working camp. Well, literally from maybe the first five minutes that we were together, interacted with one another we've been best friends for 30 years how cool is that that's yeah. so cool so because of that and then i was around indiana a lot and fortunate enough to be around coach a lot so i give you the backdrop and now to your actual question is like i said you know um obviously you know um i don't want to speak for coach but i'm sure if he looked back on certain things that people that he's infamous for he probably would, you know, rethink those things. But what I think what people don't understand about him, and he certainly was to me um, over the years, uh, immensely loyal, um, uh, immensely uh, um, trusting, and uh, overly supportive. And um, if there was ever anything I needed, um, he would do it. And I, I, I think in the other stuff that it's unfortunate, you know, <clears throat> because of sound bites and video clips, um, that gets, that gets lost. Yeah. And some of that stuff gets too. Yeah. So yeah. like I would, you know, Patrick was the best man at my wedding. I was at 
his, yeah. you know, his parents. Uh, my mom is, because um, they were at Texas Tech at the time. <laughs> my mom is buried with a Texas Tech blanket on her, you know, um, <laughs> that pep. So, yeah, co- I think people would probably not know about coaches. Um, he's, he's, you know, he, he, he's immensely loyal. And yeah. um, I know, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, even in my forties, I had some tongue lashings. Um, that's just who coach is. Yeah, he made you better. It's, but it's, but it's his same way at the same time. It's, it's sort of his unorthodox way for lack of a better way to put it of saying, I love you. Yeah. No, he's intense. And I, you know, I always loved watching coach. I always loved watching coach. So how, how'd you get in the NBA? And then um, just briefly, how many years did you coach college? And then you got to the NBA and then how many years were you in the NBA? Yeah, good question. So I actually only coached college for four years. I coached two NAIA where I went to school at Aquinas. Yeah. And then two at division at Division One school in Buffalo. Like I said, my first year we were in the Mid Continent, which was a crazy league. It was all over the country, and then, um, and then the second we're we're in the Mid American Conference, which is you know all the Michigan schools and the Ohio Mid Major school, you know yeah. Miami of Ohio, Ohio those schools. Um, so did you drive your car around all over America to uh, find a? NBA job? <laughs> I, I didn't. So yeah, that's a great question. So how I got in the NBA was um, the the coach, the head coach that I worked for at Aquinas had a, an elite camp called Camp of Champions, and which is how I ended up at Aquinas basically. But he was the coach at he had been the coach at East Grand Rapids High School, which is. Aquinas is almost in East Grand Rapids, uh, where President Ford's from. So uh, Jim Boylan, who was an assistant with the Rockets at the time, played for him in high school. Oh, okay. So Jim and I had a very peripheral relationship. He's three years older than me, but just from summer stuff when we were kids. But we didn't really know each other. I obviously knew of him and stuff like that because he's a really good player. And he played with Guard Thompson, was that in that team who played at Michigan, was a good player. Jim played at Maine. Um, and so in the spring, Jim had been home a couple times, and we got together with Coach Albro. And then Jim and I started kind of creating a relationship. And then I went to Houston a couple times after the college season. That's when the NBA playoffs are basically starting and so I went I'd go to Houston and hang out for a week and go to practice and watch games and then because of that I just I got to know Rudy Tom Janovich from being there and I mean (laughs) you talk about crazy stories so um I don't know what else we're going to get to but so in whatever you get us this is this, this is back in the old days when practice started on October 15th. Yeah. So the head women's coach at Buffalo, her name was Cheryl Dozier. I had known her since college. She played at Aquinas when I went to Aquinas uh, as a player. We had known each other since we were teenagers. And she was the head coach. She had come there from Michigan State. So we had a night football game. And it was the Saturday before the 15th. And she said, hey, 
let's go out and have something to eat and hang out. It's not going to be the last week of freedom for months, you know? And yeah. I was like, nah, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm going to go home. So I, I went home and I'm sitting there and my phone rings, uh, my landline. <laughs> you know, so yeah, if man. I'm not at home, I'm not getting this call. It's Jim Boylan. And I was like, hello. And he's like, and this is so Jim. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, just got home from the football game. He goes, don't move. I'm calling you right back. Click. That's literally what happened. So I'm Did like, you know who it was? Yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, this is Jim. Okay. Uh, he probably said this is Jim, but I would have known him by his voice. He might not even have said his voice. Yeah. Right. But, but or name. But so I, I go, well, this is really weird. And literally that was the whole exchange. And 10 minutes later, the phone rings and he goes, Hey, uh, I got Rudy on here. We're, I got Rudy. We're sitting in the office. Uh, I was like, I'm sorry, in the hotel room. And because uh, his training camp was going on. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <clears throat> so Rudy gets on the phone and he goes, Hey, Coop. Um, we have a video coordinator slash scouting position open. And uh, I want to know if you got interest in, in interviewing for it. And this was my, honestly, God, this was my answer. I said, coach, that's like asking me if I want to wake up and breathe tomorrow morning. <laughs> I know. So, I heard. so this is like at like 1030 at night. And so he said, what is your boss's name and what's his phone number? So I gave him Coach Cohane's name and his phone number. He goes, well, I'm going to call him. Okay. He goes, I'll get back to you. So I'm thinking he's going to get back to me like tomorrow. Right. Right. He calls me back. They call half hour later, the phone rings. And it's Jim and Rudy. And Rudy says, hey, I talked to Tim and I, we got permission. Sally's going to call you and get you on a flight tomorrow morning. So you know how these things go down. I love it. So I'm, thinking, I, I'm like, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I didn't know if it was, I didn't know if it was Canon camera. I didn't know what, you know, sure enough, five minutes later, Sally calls. And then of course I called coach Cohane and, and all that and said, gosh, thanks for permission. I, this came out of nowhere. And so I got on, I got on the plane the next morning. I flew to Austin. In those days, they did training camp in Austin. Okay. At St. Stephen's High School. I was there for four days. No one asked me a basketball question. No one. For four days. All they wanted to know, all Rudy cared about is could I fit the culture? There you go. And so uh <laughs> um this might not mean anything to anybody but i'm going to tell this part of the story anyway so carol dawson was the gm carol dawson's from elba texas which is east texas it's it was 175 people it's probably still 175 people and he had been and he's as dry-witted east texas as it gets so the fourth day i go i meet with rudy and jim and um, he, they said, hey, 
you know, this went really well and, and all that. You got You need to go see Carol. You got to go to Carol's room. I was like, okay. So I go knock on his door and I, he, he says, yeah, come on in. You know, he comes to the door, lets me in. And I said, Hey, Mr. Dawson, um, It's good. It's good. It's it's crazy how this stuff happens, isn't it? God drops people in our lives that yeah. change our lives. Sorry. Um no, you don't have to apologize for any emotion. So uh, get a drink here. If you're drinking tequila. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean Texas. So so I go in and I sit down and <laughs> I go, hey, Mr. Dawson, I, I met with, uh, you know, Rudy and Jim and they told me to come down. I said, first, I just want you to, I, I just want to thank you guys for having me. And he looks at me and he says, Coop, you know the difference be between a, a, tech, a good Texan and a Texan or a Yankee? And I said, what's that? And he goes. Yankees go home. He said, do you want to be a Yankee or do you want to be a good Texan? And I didn't know what he meant. I said, sir, I am completely lost. He goes, do you want to stay here and be a Texan or do you want to go and be a Yankee? I said, sir, I want to stay here and be a Texan. I'll be here. So, yeah. So, um, so anyways, uh, it just you know, like, you know, so this cool. that's so cool, Dean is, and, and this is all we knew. And all we know, essentially, yeah, the speed of pro sports, hiring, firing, obviously the this, that, the other thing is fast, super fast. I'm in, oh yeah, I'm in a different yeah. business now, and it's so uh, oh, like glacier slow, like crazy right. slow, and and it just, I just like it fast. <laughs> Yeah, I want to know. I don't want to take a week. So when Rudy calls you, and then he goes and makes another call, and then he calls you right back, you're like, these guys know what they're looking for. They don't need to take a week and a half or whatever. They they know what they want before they get it. All they need to know is some affirmation, some confirmation, and they're like, hey, we got a plane ticket. You're going to come down here and bang, bang, bang. And you know, all they wanted to know, like you said, are you going to fit the culture? They didn't care how much basketball you knew. They didn't care. I mean, they they knew how much basketball you already knew because that was already answered before they even talked to you. Yeah. Somebody else was giving them that information. And now all they needed to know was, can this guy, can we be in the same room and the bus and the airplane with this guy at two o'clock in the morning when we lose a game at one in the afternoon after we win a big game? Who is he? Who's he going to be? Day in, day out, night in, night night out, no sleep, whatever it takes. Who's this guy going to be? And you confirmed it in four days. It took four days, and you you confirmed it. Whatever they asked you to do, you did it. I'm sure you did. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. they would have said Yankee, go home. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And um, it, so yeah, so I went back, and then I mean, I went back, and the next, I flew home the next day, and. I called Coach Cohan and told him they offered me a job, and I was on. And then two days later, I was driving from Buffalo to Texas, and I just 
just for no the best not, drive of your I'm life. A, yeah. <laughs> It's um, and I'm not embarrassed by it at all. I, I think I'm never embarrassed about being vulnerable. I actually you you will understand this one because of our age and two you were in football. But I always call, call myself the Dick Vermeil of basketball because Dick Vermeil was extremely emotional. But nice. the reason I get choked choked up is it. I just wanted for clarifications. It's not about the getting in the NBA. Uh, my parents passed away before I got married mm. and Rudy and Carol did the things in my wedding that my parents would have done. That's so nice. That's so nice. Yeah. So you know, coaches are, are wired different. I think I talk to a lot of different people and, you know, coaches are there before the players show up. They're there while the players are there and they're there long after the players are there. And they're held accountable at a different level. It's just, they're just different. And I'm not trying to defend them or anything, but um, it's just the profession that God put us in for whatever reason. And we've been, we've been touched by some uh, blessed by some great men that, that went ahead of us that we got to witness and then emulate and just roll with it. So that leads me to this. So you're coaching in the NBA. Let's talk about um, – you can talk about one of your favorite guys to coach and then the biggest games that you've ever been in. Who are those players in those big games and or that big game? And, wow. uh, and what are they – who are they? What do they act like? And You know, because that stuff matters, I think. Yeah. So just give me like one example of who, who you really liked, you know, this guy's got it. And then when he's in that big game, you know, I don't know, maybe you coach Michael Jordan. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I had to coach against him, which was not exactly um, fun. It was fun watching him, but what it was, it was mine. You know, it's, it's obviously you'd go nervous wreck. You know, I was so fortunate, just like yourself. I mean, I get that question a lot and it's interesting how you framed it like you didn't say give me one guy like a lot of people say like who's your favorite player who's the best you know like gosh man I mean when you're in it for 22 years you're gonna you're gonna come across a lot of guys that you know um you know uh you know I think it you know and I was so fortunate especially early on you know you're talking about Olajuwon and Barkley and Yao and you know Steve Francis and guys we got on our team and you know coaching against Kobe and Michael and you know it's it's the list goes on and on and um you know I I'll you know in in some guys I mean dream you know and then later in my career you know as my career progressed obviously great players along the way LaMarcus Aldridge and Al Jefferson and Zach Levine and James Harden and Dwight out and then you go on and on but the guy, the the guy that I'm close that I that I had the closest relationship to, one because I spent a lot of time with him, and two because he's he's about as good a human being as I've ever met, and I met a lot of good, like we had so many guys. I mean, Shane Batty, I had known since he was 15 years old. Yeah. He was eventually a rocket. I had him on the USA team, you know, which I'll touch on in a second. When you talk about an experience, the, the 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 game part of it, I'm going to answer about that. But 
Yao and I have a very, we're very close. And um, uh, one, because he's such a great human being for, for that, you know, God is amazing because for him to shoulder the gap between the East and the West, like he did. Yeah. And there were so many political issues. It wasn't just basketball. There a huge language barrier for him. They're, How well they're, they're he, actually, they're actually well no English before he got, he there? actually, he actually spoke. He was, what's the word I'm looking for? He was fluent, sem, semi-fluent in English when he got here already. Some of that, that goes to the political part of it. Like yeah. there was, you know, he still needed interpreter for all the stuff coming at him, yeah, right? It's just, it's over, it was overwhelming. But a year in, he didn't really need the interpreter anymore. It was as much to sort of curtail all the stuff as yeah, much right. as it was he he that he needed it but you you could not have god could not have picked a better human i shouldn't say he couldn't have picked he intentionally made yao yao yeah. you know because nobody is could have been more equipped to handle the bridging of the east and the west than him that's, I mean, he's he's amazing guy, amazing. Yeah. And and then I spent a lot of time with him, not just in the U.S. but in in China. Okay. Um. In fact, it, it you know it was crazy. I I was around him so much, and then over there, and then I would be next. To me. These are crazy stories, gosh, have it. And uh, you know, he was always on TV. Well, I was always right next to him. Well, I would be by myself at the hotel and doing different things. And then during the day, I would go out and walk around the street or go have lunch or, you know, I only had about three places I could go, but I would go to those. But and and people would just they couldn't speak English, but they recognized me from TV and they would just point at me and go, Yao Ming, Yao Ming. And I knew what they were talking about. It was at first it was a little bit uh, disconcerting. And I did. I couldn't figure out what. And then, and then it hit me, you know. Um, but I spent so much time with him, not just in our country, but over there. And so, as far as, but like I said, I mean, good lord, like they don't make better humans than Shane Battier. You yeah. know, they don't like, guys like that. And there so many guys, just like you, you know, same for you. Well, like tell me, somebody tell said, me the difference between um, Shane, like when you're just playing. Uh, just a normal season game and then when you're playing and you're in the playoffs and it's like a yeah yeah so like a guy like Shane what makes him unique in the regular season is you know in football at at that time you only had you know you guys had 16 now there's 17 games Um, in basketball there's 82 so they're coming rapid fire and you know there's certain guys that they study so much of the tape you give them of of the scouting report right. like they they know it at least as well as you do after you've disseminated the information some of them might know it better yeah and Shane was one of those guys you know just extremely intelligent extremely professional 
Um, he just was always on his, he had his A game, you know, he might not play his A game physically every night. No one's capable of that, but mentally he, he would, he was on it, you know? And then like, when you get to the playoffs, um, you know, those guys that can just turn it on and, and people might, you know, go, Oh my gosh. But like James Harden and Bar- like those guys, you know, and James had has had his struggles at parts of the playoffs. But, you know, you know this, Rudy used to say it, and it's certainly true in the NFL, at least is true. It, Rudy used to say all the time, people have no idea how hard it is to win one NBA game. One game. I know. Let alone win 55 or 60 and be really good. And then what's even more difficult is closing somebody out in a playoff series. Winning that fourth game, no matter what the series is, 3-0 or 3-3, uh, yeah. winning that fourth game is extremely difficult. You know, um, so – you know, those guys that can play at a higher level than everybody else when you're already playing in the best league in the world, it like unless you see it up close and personal, you can attest this. It's it just I don't even know if I can ever put it into words. And I don't it's just something that some guys just have it, you know. They just yeah. they they just have it. Wired to win. Obviously, Elijah was like that. Clearly, you know, um, Harden had 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 some of that. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, the guys I've part of the guys that have it have it stay on that the team with the guys that don't have it. Do they know and do they feel it? And they're like, this guy's just. You know, I have my own answer because I, I I've lived it myself. But yeah, I I think it's you know I I mean I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. It's a great question. Um, like I said, it's very hard to verbalize, but there's over the course of time that it happens enough where the 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 hierarchy starts to it sort of happens organically and guys know where to defer and when they start to understand it and there's just a a, like there's just a trust factor like I'll give you an example and this guy had he was so good he was so good and unfortunately at injuries and his career is Brandon Roy who I coached in Portland and we were playing I can't remember who we were playing and we had Joel Prisbilla and I was talking to another assistant coach and it was like a it was like a four-point game at halftime and we were we were down at four and you know you kind of stand in that half court guys are warming up and uh and I'm talking to my buddy and who Joel knew in fact it was J.B. Bickerstaff I think who's the head coach at Cleveland now and Joel, this is the highest compliment a player can get. And Joel just told JB, oh, we're going to win the game. Don't worry about that. 
And he said, what? He goes, yeah, we have Brandon Roy. We're going to win the game. So, you know, that's when your teammates know that you're going to deliver. We got Larry Bird. We got Magic Johnson. We got – we got the yeah, guy. We got Tom. We got Tom Brady. We yeah. got Peyton Manning. We we got the guy that you you might have some guys, but we got the guy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and let me and ask I, you this, Dean. Let me ask you this: a hundred great college basketball players are going to come out. They all want to play in the NBA. Let's say this year. All right. Hypothetically, a hundred. These are just going to be round numbers. How many of those guys are going to make it in the NBA out of 100? Oh, I mean, um, I can I can tell you when you say make it, can you give me a time? Three make, years or we get make, to their second no, 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 That's the next question. How many are going to make the team? Like they, they oh, of all, the of all, and they're going all to make rookies. an active NBA roster. Okay, so they're so not going to the G League, not go to Europe, not go over here. They're going to make an NBA roster. Right. 100 great okay. college basketball players. The guys that we watch on TV, Duke, North Carolina, you know, wherever. So out of 100 of those jokers. Right. So you got 30 first-round picks. Those guys have guaranteed contracts. So they're all making it. So there's 60, picks, there's 60 picks overall. So, so the second-round contracts are not – So out of 100 – so out of 100, 60 guys have a chance. 30 already are locks. They're going to at least make it two years because they have guaranteed contracts. But only two. And even some of those guys are not getting past those rookie deals, right? So out of that 100, I would say if you, if you said, t- so take the next group of 70, Right. Or, uh, uh, uh yeah. yeah, 70, the 30 second round picks. And then the 40 other guys that will yeah. kind of have a chance of that group. I would say on an NBA roster, the first year, probably, and this is a pretty good guess is 20%, one out of five. So let me, one ask out you of five. yeah, I know. I, I know these odds are crazy and they're so what, is it in that guy, whoever this guy is, that stays on an NBA roster for nine years, ten years? He's not Kobe Bryant. I'm not talking about James Harden, Kobe Bryant, those dudes. I'm talking about guys that, like, that guy's played nine years? Whoa. Yeah. Well, you know them all differently than I know them. Like I, yeah. you know their names and you know who they are. To me, I'm like that dude's been in the NBA for nine years. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. makes that guy last? That a great question. Um, first and foremost, obviously, to 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 stick around for a while, you have to have a, a good enough skill set, or you have to have a good enough. It, like they evaluate you and go in three years, there's enough as people like to say upside for that guy to stick around and at least let him have an opportunity. Right. After about that third year. And I don't know if this would be true of the NFL. I'm guessing it's probably similar after the third year, what's going to keep you around after that, or, or maybe not on the same team, but keep you in the league is you've developed at least a skill. And that's what people, I don't know if the NFL, I told you this, I'm not, like I watch 
football strictly as a fan. I didn't play football. I didn't, I don't know the technical stuff of it. Um, but in the NBA, a lot of guys you have, you have, they might only have one real NBA skill, one, but that will keep them. And then it's just, is it good enough to help you? And back to the culture thing, are you a good enough dude that, yeah, with what you bring to the table that you're worth having, that your services are worth us paying for. And I hate to reduce it to that because it's it sounds very um, it sounds very transactional, like a business transaction, but let's call it what it is. That's what it is. It's do you it. have a service that I'm willing to pay for? And do you have are you the kind of person that we want to have in that locker room? As you said, when you lose and you land at two o'clock in the morning at, and I got to wake up the next day and be around you, am I cool with that? And, and, and really that's the, everybody's, most people are good when you're winning. It's what are you like when things aren't going well and how do you handle turbulence? Cause everybody has turbulence. Um, some guys have it in shorter spurts than others, you know, the great ones have, it might be a half or it might be a quarter. It might be, you know, their turbulent spurts are very short, right? right? That's right. The middle, then you get the guys like maybe it's a half of a season or four games or you right. So as you know, all of that goes into it. And, but after the third year, it's basically, do you have one NBA skill? And are you a good enough dude that that we feel comfortable putting you in our locker room? Yeah. I, I don't you. know if that's true of the NFL, but Very it's certainly similar. true in the NBA. Very similar. It's got to be a little bit yeah. durable. <laughs> yeah, well, durability. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, right. Yeah. Every I mean well, durability so comes with body, mind, and soul, too. Yeah, I soul, mean, there's speaking of soul, I'm gonna ask you a question about your faith and how it got tested, how it gets tested when you're a coach, an NBA coach, like you said, there's 82 games. And then if you're any, if you're any better than 82, you get to keep playing and you know, your faith and, and how that, how that plays out along with your whole life, everything, all your choices and everything. So go ahead and. Uh, well, um, as you can, you know, like I, I said, uh, earlier, uh, you know, and we talked about at the first half of the conversation is, you know, I'm, I'm no, uh, uh, I'm, I, I am a dummy, but I'm smart enough to know that I've been beyond blessed. Uh, so, you know, um, that in and of itself to, to grow up where I grew up and to, to, uh, you know, have believe in myself or in that God will look out for me uh, along the way. Um, I've been, I mean, he's more than looked out for me. If, 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 if all his blessings ended today, I would have gotten more than I deserved. So um, I, I understand that. Uh, how I'm stealing is, that line from you, by the way. I'm gonna, steal, that? I'm gonna steal that last line from you, by the way. Of all the blessings yeah. ended today, I got way more than I deserve. No, it's it's absolutely true. 
Um, and mo and you know what? Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't know if this is a good way to answer this question, but I was sitting in my home right down the street from you, which I recently learned. Yeah, uh, not my home here, my my temporary home, my home in Franklin um this summer. And uh, you know, I, I like I've told you off camera, you know, I, I play the guitar, I, I love music. I and you know, uh, fortunately I've 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 made a, a good living and I don't I'm I don't live opulently by any stretch of the imagination, but um I'm fortunate enough that I have some 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 nice things, but I don't have a bunch of toys, but I do have like guitars and some memorabilia and, and things like that. And I ha had been reading in Proverbs that day, and I, I wish I could remember the exact verse, but I was sitting there and doing my devotions afterwards. And it hit me that when I go out and talk, I've often said, and almost always had said, man, basketball has given me everything they have in my life. You know, and I was sitting there that day after my reading and I'm looking around my house and I said, I, I just start bawling. Yeah. And I said, basketball, you give me any of this. God gave it. There you go. That was the vehicle. Yeah. And I was embarrassed. Hmm. Yeah. That I ever said those things. And I said, sorry. <laughs> I told you I'm Dick Vermeil. Um, <laughs> I love Dick Vermeil anyway. So. And and I just said, God, I, I honestly, Steve, I sat there in my chair and I was embarrassed I ever said that. That those words ever can't even get. I was like, basketball didn't give me any of this. God gave me all this. Yeah. He he used basketball to allow to allow it to happen, but he gave me every bit of it. And so you say, how do I use my faith? As you know, we live in a very emotionally charged world. And there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot that uh, people think that it's a lot gl more glorious than what it is. And it is a, this is, this is a coach night thing. We, we, we work in the greatest profession in the world, in the expletive business in the world, right? <laughs> so it, 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 put at whatever expletive you want to put Artists. in there. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's so it's so true, and it's yeah. so true, and it's all the stuff that goes on that people don't see, um, is and it's a blessed life. It's I mean, you know. Um, which by the way, I'm, I'm going to circle back just quick to something you asked earlier, but, um, but anyways, I, I just look and I, I just know, like if I didn't have, if I didn't have my Bible study and the Lord as my guide to get me through the turbulent times, cause this is a tough business. Um, it probably would have cost me my marriage. It probably would, it probably would cost me my profession. Um, uh, it pro, you know, I just don't know if, if I didn't, I leave Proverbs and the Psalms a lot. I read all over the Bible, but those in particular, because 
it continually talks about wisdom and versus folly and and righteousness and 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 understanding that the Lord is He's going to be there when you need Him, and He only you know it's funny even like when you don't need Him, even when you don't need Him, He's always there. He's going to be, and you just got to, you know, you got to have faith in tough times. It took me 27 years before I got fired the first time. And I only, I told that story about driving around, um, you know, uh, you know, putting the stuff in my car. That was the first time I intentionally interviewed ever in my life Yeah. until, and then not again, until the first time I got fired in 2007 at 14. And um, the reason was, I just, it part is the way I was raised. My dad always said, you know, water the grass where your feet are. Yeah. And just water the grass where your feet are and everything around you will bloom. You know, so I always took that mentality and I was fortunate. The next job, oh, now I had to interview, like I said, I had to, I had to fly to Houston, but I didn't search that job out. Right. I didn't, search out going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. They called me. So um, uh, I still had to interview, but it wasn't, I wasn't actively doing it. Um, So man, when that 2014, when that happened, if I didn't have faith and I'm not saying it was easy, I didn't just, Oh, God's going to take care of this. And that, no, 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 that don't get that twisted. I didn't, but I, because of my faith, I just kept praying to God, like, just get me in a situation, get, you know, put me to the next thing where I can continue to take care of my family and provide for my family and use the, the tools that you gave me in the, in the appropriate arena for me to use them. You know, that's, right. um, that's all I pray for every day, you know? Uh, so we don't have time yeah. on, this, on this episode, but I'm going to come back and we're going to do another one of these because um, I want to go deeper on some other stuff that um, you're touching on. That's my teaser for the next episode, next exciting episode with Coach Cooper. But um, that that there's so much that goes on in our lives behind the lights, the camera, and the action that the you know people see on TV. They see that game on TV and they. To them, it's a game. To us, it's our livelihood and how that that works, you know. So we're going to talk about that on a different one because we're going to run out of time here. But, um, you know, there's a question I ask everybody. Go ahead. Can, can I, can I yeah. just touch on one thing? Because yeah. this is really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Ask, so I apologize. I, I'm, you're, it's your podcast. But you no, did ask me about it's yours. Later and, I'm giving and, you and a team. And a team, and I and I want to say this, and it, it and I'm and the reason I want to say it is it's out of respect for the people that serve our country. Yeah. Is you know, like I said, I I could be a police officer. I I just it wasn't in me, and I have eleven of them in my family, and um, a lot of those people, including my father, also served. And uh, in two thousand and six. I was fortunate enough to be on the USA staff with Coach K and LeBron and and, awesome. and uh, Carmelo and Chris Paul and those guys, Shane, Batty, when I was, you know, Coach K's first year. And we were at the World Championships. And um, 
when going into it, I thought, man, this is great. I, I'm, I'm serving my country. And while I was on the podium and they were playing the national anthem, I realized I'm not serving, I'm representing. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference. Yeah, that's and, good. Uh, serving's a whole different thing. And you talk about, you ask about games and stuff like that. Like that is the most poignant moment of my career because representing your country is an incredible honor, but serving is a different deal. Well, to me, you brought that up. It's like what, a, what an egg is to a chicken and what pork is to a pig that's a big difference yeah so yeah i get you i appreciate yeah. that hey this show is called another rep another rep with coach hagan what does another rep mean to you being in well, i'm not even going to go there i'm just going to let you what do you think another rep means to you <clears throat> well i think you know Another rep mean, to me means that what is it today? I, I say this every morning when I open up my Bible. I, I say, God, as I as I read these words, I'm gonna please, I'm gonna my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit, and bring to me through these words that I'm about ready to read. It let me become a better version of the likeness of you that you created. And another rep is give me one more day to serve whatever purpose you want me to serve. And whatever that is today, just make it clear to me because I'm not that smart that it's vividly clear what it is I need to do. And let me give you give you one more rep of of being the the person and the image that you created and you want me to be, that's basically what it means. To me. I love that. I love that. I love asking everybody that question. Cause I get so, uh, it's just, there's great answers. Hey, coach Cooper, I love having you on the show. This won't be our last time. And actually I'm going to put a teaser out there because you led me to it on the next one. I'm going to ask you, uh, the similarities and the differences between two of those coaches that you got to coach with, Coach Knight and Coach K. I mean, those two are the most iconic college basketball coach. I mean, there's other guys, but crazy. So don't answer that. You're not allowed to answer that. But okay. hey, I appreciate having you on the show. I appreciate you having on another rep, and uh, I look forward to doing this again. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me, and, and thanks for doing what you do, man, and, and getting the word out there. Uh, and, and doing it and having it faith-based, I think is really cool. Yeah, we just got to keep repping. Just keep repping and keep working. Coach Dean, thanks so much for coming on another rep. I really love having you on. I love your stories. I love, love listening to it. You know, I feel like I lived some of your stories. I know I have. It's just uh, we're like brothers from a different mother, and we – we share the same stories, and it's a different sport, but it's the same story. So, hey, thanks for coming on another rep. Appreciate you. Love you like a brother, man.
Hey, if you love this show, you like this show, whatever, share this with your friends, your neighbors, your aunts, your uncles, your grandmas, your grandpas, your moms, your dads, your friends, your people. Just hit subscribe, hit like, and let's go. Let's keep repping. I am out.